evening and welcome to worship. This is the second Sunday in the Advent season. And today our Lord points us ahead to the hope that we have as we watch and wait for Christ. Not an iffy hope, but a solid hope that is made certain to us through our Savior. Our second reading this morning, the words of our sermon text today, Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 13. Indeed, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that through patient endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we would have hope. And may God, the source of patient endurance and encouragement, grant that you agree with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that with one mind, in one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. For this reason, accept one another, as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. For I am saying that Christ became a servant of those who are circumcised for the sake of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. He also did this so that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. And again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples give him praise. And again, Isaiah says, there will be a root of Jesse, and he is the one who will rise up to rule the Gentiles. On him the Gentiles will place their hope. Now, May the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word of our God. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. The Lord our Christ. Amen. In the name of that Savior, dear friends. People say it all the time that Christmas is a season for hope. So what are you hoping for right about now? Are you maybe looking forward to a midwinter getaway at some tropical paradise? Maybe you're hoping for a great big promotion at work. Maybe you're hoping for an end to inflation, or maybe you're hoping to find a particular gift under the tree this year. You know, as nice as any of those things might be, our spiritual senses are keen enough to understand that while those things might give us a sense of joy and fulfillment for a time, that will be relatively short-lived. They may satisfy for a, a moment, but eventually they will pass, and, and then we'll find ourselves craving something else all over again. So the question becomes, how do we put an end to that continuous cycle? If we want to be kept from running through that endless cycle over and over again, if we want to keep our hopes and dreams from being shattered like a piece of glass falling to the ground, then we're going to need something different, something bigger, something better, something that's everlasting. And that's exactly what the Lord, through his apostle Paul, brings to our hearts 
here this morning. He brings to us hope from the God of hope. And it's the kind of hope that you will not find anywhere else in your life. Hope, you know that feeling of dread that you have when there's something big that's kind of hanging over your head? Maybe it's a major deadline that you have to meet at work and you're looking at everything that you have to do and you wonder, how in all the world am I ever going to meet that deadline? Or maybe it's a student with a, a great big final exam or a, a massive term paper deadline coming up and it, it hangs over you and it, it, it fills you with nervousness and anxiety. You're hoping that everything goes well, but who's to say? There's something bigger that's hanging over the head of every man, woman, and child that has ever lived and that will ever live. We have an unavoidable appointment with the Lord to stand before his throne for judgment. And admittedly, when we first think about that reality, it fills us with fear and dread and anxiety. I mean, that's because we know ourselves. We know that we have blown it before our God on a daily basis. We haven't given God the, the perfect love that his love commands or the kind of trust that he demands or the kind of thanks that he deserves, not even close. And not only have we failed him, we're well aware of the fact that we have failed each other, even people we love. Paul in our text this morning is calling on us to accept one another. But we haven't always done that. Instead, sometimes we've sinfully resented other people, kept our distance from those whom we don't really care for, in spite of the fact that the Lord calls upon us to love, to love even our enemies. And the reality is that God knows us even better than we know ourselves. God knows even those secret sins that you didn't realize you committed. God knows the times when we may have pulled the wool over other people's eyes. We haven't pulled it over his. He knows all, sees all, and we will face that God on the day of judgment. But of course, here's the key. We, as the people of God, face that coming day of judgment not with fear, but with hope. And that's why Paul writes what he does in the first verse of our text. He says, indeed, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. Why? So that through patient endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we would have hope. Now, the first thing we need to know about this is that when the Lord talks about hope, he speaks about it differently than we usually do. When we use that word hope, we usually use it in the sense that, that contains a certain amount of doubt or uncertainty. So we talk about hoping for something, but we're not sure of it. I hope we have wonderful weather next weekend, but I don't know, and I, I don't know what I could do about it anyway. Friend, that's not the way that the Lord is using the word hope here in Scripture. Here, hope means a sure and a confident trust that the Lord will do exactly as he has promised, that God will give us precisely what he has vowed in his word, his written affidavit, to give us. This hope, then, is a sure and a certain hope. 
Okay, so where do you get that kind of hope? Right here in the Bible, the inspired word of God. And that's what Paul's pointing us to here. He talks about what was written in the past. He's talking, of course, about what was written down for us in the pages of Holy Scripture. Paul is specifically talking about the Old Testament Scriptures because the New Testament hadn't yet been compiled. And the main message of the Old Testament, the, the message that God shared over and over again through his prophets was this. I will send you a Savior. Yes, there's all kinds of history and other important things in the Old Testament, but more than anything else, the Old Testament is all about God promising his people, I will send a Savior who will rescue you from your sin. And that message, we're told, gave Old Testament believers patient endurance. The word there in the Greek means to remain under something. So maybe you would think about an Olympic weightlifter lifting a, a barbell with huge weights high over his head and then locking his elbows and locking his knees, trembling a bit, but remaining under that huge burden. Think of those Old Testament believers and the things that they remained under. Their night, their night of uncertainty. Think about a believer like Job in the Old Testament. In a moment, he lost his, his home, his children, his possessions, and then finally his health. And it led him to wonder out loud, to question God. But in the end, bolstered by the promises of God, he remained under that. And he was led to speak with a confident hope. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and I myself will see him, I myself with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. He was enabled to stand up under that because of the promises of God. Not only patient endurance, Paul says the scriptures also give God's people encouragement. The word there means to call someone to your side, to kind of put an arm around them and encourage them. Maybe you think about a, a coach and it's the final moments of the game and he calls his players over and he gets them in a huddle, puts his arms around and says, all right, men, we can do this. Stay focused. Keep giving it all you've got. Encouragement. Think about Old Testament believers like, like Moses and Abraham and King David. Their lives were not problem-free, not by a long shot, but they were able to endure it all and to have encouragement because God had encouraged them with the promise of future glory, of eternal glory. So Hebrews 11 says, and we're studying this in Bible class right now, it says this about those Old Testament heroes of faith. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, in Christ Jesus, they were encouraged because they knew no matter what they'd face in life, they had a certain hope. And so do we. We know why. We, it's because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We know that Jesus came and by his living and dying and rising has canceled the debt of our sins. We know that Christ has set us free. We know that Jesus has promised us glory even though we have deserved nothing but punishment from him. Things won't always go smoothly in your life. 
But on those days when it seems as though nothing's right, stop and remind yourself with the encouragement of Scripture what is right in your life. God knows me. God knows all of my needs. God will strengthen and help me. I'm his forgiven child. He will provide for me, and someday by his grace I'll be home with Jesus. Let's use that certain hope to give us patient endurance and encouragement in our worst days as we wait for Jesus to come again in glory. We don't face that day with dread because we already know the verdict. God in Christ has already declared us to be not guilty. Through faith in him, we are saved. That's not a vague hope. That's our certain reality in Christ. We aren't hoping for heaven. We have heaven. It's ours. It's God's gift. Jesus said, whoever believes has eternal life. We have heaven. We just haven't moved in yet. Because of Christ, our Savior, we can face the coming, the coming judgment with joyful hope and not with fear and dread. Now that certain hope renews and reshapes our hearts, but it doesn't end there. The result is that wonderful fruits of faith continue to show themselves because of our renewed hope. And that, that's the other thing that Paul addresses for us in this text. Again, think back to the Old Testament. It's true that in the Old Testament, God had put a hedge around his people Israel. He had kept them separate from the other nations because he wanted to execute his plan to bring the Savior into the world through the Jews. And so he gave them special laws and rules and requirements, circumcision, abstaining from certain kinds of foods, keeping rest days on the Sabbath, one of the reasons that God gave those laws to the Jews was to help them to stay separate, to keep them from following the ways of the heathen world. And that held true for centuries until the Savior came. But now, as Paul writes these words, in the early Christian church, in the years after Jesus' death and resurrection, it was up to preachers like the Apostle Paul to proclaim the good news that Jesus had come and had fulfilled the law and that Christ is the end of the law for those who believe. And because he had fulfilled the law, all those dividing lines were gone. And the partitions that had kept one group of people separate from the rest had been removed. They were now one in Christ Jesus, Jews and Gentile believers alike. But old habits die hard, don't they? Think of how difficult it must have been for Jewish and Gentile Christians to get along. Think of how Satan would have worked to keep those people from feeling like they were one body of believers and instead just to focus on all their differences, to be suspicious of each other and judgmental of one another. That's what Paul is also writing about in this text. He prays for it in verse 5. He says, may God, the source of patient endurance and encouragement, grant that you agree with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. And why? Verse 6. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about unity in the body of believers. You see, God never created you to exist as a believing little island all off by yourself. His will was to join us together into one body of believers. 
But please note, this isn't just any unity. When Paul prays in verse 5 that God would give a spirit of unity, he says to do it in accordance with Christ Jesus. So it is unity that is based on the word of Christ, the Bible, and everything that the Bible says. This set of teachings joins us together. And Paul goes on to instruct the believers there in the Roman congregation and each of us in this Lutheran congregation today to accept one another as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. Accept one another. Now, as I look around at those gathered here today, I don't think that there are going to be all kinds of differences between Jewish and Gentile believers. But that doesn't mean we're out of the woods. Are there people, fellow believers, with whom you just don't get along? And with whom you just really don't care to get along? Think about our stubbornness with each other or the way that we let our opinions about some small matter divide us, our suspicions of each other, our pride, our spitefulness, our grudges. Could any of that ever bring any kind of glory to God? Of course not. How in all the world could that ever be anything like the way that Christ has accepted us? We may not be divided by differences between Jewish and Gentile roots, but what about strong opinions on things that aren't eternally important? What about times when we don't get our way? What about the judgments that we've made about people who may not share our particular political viewpoint? Accept one another as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. And you know what? That unity that we have in Christ based on doctrine, this unity that we feel as we love and cherish each other as Christ loves and cherishes us, that unity serves us well as we watch and wait for the Lord Jesus to return on the last day. And so in this Christmas season, as we gather together around the manger bed, we view the love of the Lord our God who sent his Son for us. And as we together look at Jesus there on the cross, we view the amazing love that he would have for people like us, that he would give himself for our sins. That love will fill us with endurance to get through even the worst times of life. And that love will empower us to overcome anything that might otherwise divide us. And that love will help us to love and encourage one another because we know that the best is yet to come. It's interesting that in the final words of our text, the Apostle Paul refers to our Lord as the God of hope. I'm pretty certain that this is the only time the Bible gives the Lord that name. But it's significant. He isn't a God who knows a little something about hope. He isn't a God who sometimes furnishes with us with some hope. He's the God of hope. He's the source of our hope, and he's the object of our hope. He is hope personified. Dear people of God, may that hope from the God of hope continue to fill us with joy and peace as we trust in him. 
The result being that we ourselves may overflow with hope in our own hearts and lives and then spilling over to the hearts and lives of, of others by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Amen.